Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Timothy Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm really excited to have back on the show after maybe three or four years, um, Shai and Leah, they're the founders of the Secure Poly Collective, and that's a series of workshops to help partners thrive in more conscious, sustainable relationships. They are also the producers of the live events, RelateFest at RelateFest.com, and the Open Experience at OpenLoveExperience.com. Welcome back to the show, Leah and Shai. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So glad to have you. And since we last talked, you've created this incredible Secure Poly Collective. I want to hear more about that. Um, But first, for people that haven't met you before, um, maybe you can give us your poly backstory. How did you get into being polyamory coaches and experts? So I was uh, monogamous, like a lot of people, before they were on the non-monogamy spectrum. I was uh, not aware polyamory was a thing, and I was relatively good at monogamy. I, I was with the same person for 18 years, and we built a family and a business and had two beautiful kids. And throughout that uh, relationship, marriage, um, I always had, I guess, a, a certain amount of anxiety and maybe some shame around feelings that I had for other people, um, almost like I shouldn't be having these feelings if I love my wife, because you're not supposed to, if you love your <laughs> wife, have feelings for somebody else. And, and um, you know, so obviously I had so, so many moments of like flirting with people and feeling so confused and having crushes on people. And a lot, of, a lot, a lot was me running a business and having different employees that I was attracted to also, which made it worse because you see them day in and day out and they're flirting with you and you're flirting with them and you get very confused. So anyway, that's, um, that, that, that was okay for the first nine years, let's just say. And then halfway through, I started uh, discovering that, that, that I just couldn't contain my attraction uh, to other people. And I think that at one point I even left my wife uh, because I didn't want to cheat. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that, that was really challenging because I was like, wow, I just like broke up an amazing relationship just because I wanted to be with somebody else and I had no choice, either cheat or, you know, take time apart. Right. Fast forward to... Um, about mm, 10 years ago, I discovered uh, Big Love on HBO, which opened up my eyes, then Polyamory Married and Dating on Showtime, and then, then Sex at Dawn and a bunch of other books. And I was just like, oh, my God, polyamory is a thing. There's an actual <laughs> solution, laundry that I've been dealing with for such a long time. And 
that started a conversation that lasted for years because my, my wife didn't want to be open in any way. Um, but eventually, after a lot of talking and, and work, we opened up. And at the time of opening up, I knew I was risking my marriage. I was conscious. I was aware. And we, um, uh, about seven months after opening up, she asked me for a divorce because oh. it was too hard. You know, and at the time, I wasn't trauma-informed. I didn't understand attachment theory. There was no Jessica Fern and Polysecure. There was no um, just, uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I held on to this value of having, being polyamorous, and I, I went on to be polyamorous for um, the last uh, nine years that we've been apart. So what's interesting is that, sorry for making this such a long story. Oh, that's fine. When she asked me for a divorce, I was both shocked and, and prepared at the same time. It was a strange mix. And I did the most obvious thing. At the time, she had a boyfriend and I had a girlfriend when she asked me for a divorce. So I asked her boyfriend to move in with us. And I asked my girlfriend to move in with us. So there we were living, eight of us in, on the same property, uh, four adults and four kids. And we wow. actually got along. We got along. It was like a little, you know, extended family, mixed family. Um, everybody got along with each other. And that lasted for about three years. Um, and then um, there's different iterations of how we lived with each other. But my ex-wife and I actually have been raising our kids side by side for a majority of the last eight years. Mm. And that's a piece of our story, too. Um, and then I met Leah, who's sitting next to me, the wonderful Leah, about six years ago. And uh, she'll tell you a little bit more when she shares how she entered this, this relationship but uh, again, I was not informed. I was, did not understand, you know, uh, trauma. I did not understand how me finding another partner while I was with Leah would impact her. Mm-hmm. And um, I've since learned that that is a very, very important piece. That is the elephant in the room when yeah. you're trying to open up your relationship. You need to know, uh, and we'll talk about the pitfalls later on maybe, but you need to know what this number one pitfall is not addressing trauma head on and just pretending like it doesn't exist. So, yeah, I'll hand the mic over to Leah and see if she can share how she kind of like came together before, with me about yeah. yeah, Before you do, um, so does your um, ex-wife still live with you? Yeah, yeah, she still does. And, uh, and literally in the next few days, we're going through another, another iteration, another transition where we're looking to move homes and um, transitioning that as well. So it's been an interesting ride. Wow. Well, that's, that could be a whole other show just talking about how to <laughs> live with extended poly family, but good for you. Okay, I'd love to hear Leah now. Sure thing. So very, very different entry into this. Um, I, too, was monogamous for decades, and I was really good at the physical fidelity part, but I had a number of emotional affairs throughout, and I struggled with the idea that one, that I wanted to be with a person for the rest of my life when I'm a person that believes in a lot of evolution and growth. 
um, but also only one person for the rest of my life. It, it just there didn't seem to sync up with the natural impulses of us as humans. Um, when I got divorced after a 12-year monogamous marriage, or separated, I had about a three-week space of figuring out what I wanted next. I ended up doing ayahuasca accidentally for the first time. Accidentally. And, <laughs> <laughs> practically. It's a long story. But a few days later, I met Shy online, who was the first person I messaged in online dating. And... He was immediately transparent with me that he was polyamorous, that he had another partner, that he lived with his ex-wife. And the first thing that ran through my mind was, holy crap, what is going on out here? After 12 years of being married, has lost his mind. And I thought my prospects were going to be pretty dim after that. But uh, then I had this kind of pause. I think it was an opening that this medicine gave me that made me question well, I had gone against the conventions of pretty much every other area in my life except for love. So I decided to write back, give it a try, and our connection was cosmic. I don't know how, I don't have another word for it, but I, there seemed to be some very important reason and, and lessons and uh, it was like a love I have never experienced before. But I knew going in that I was also quite a jealous and possessive person. I didn't know why, but those were those reasons. <laughs> um, but they were, and I thought, oh, what a cute little fun way to get rid of that stuff. And, of course, <laughs> when your jealousy and possessiveness is, not only rooted in kind of your upbringing, I'm an only child and a Scorpio with an only child, so terrible qualifications there, but also a major amount of abandonment and rejection trauma that poly is designed designed to bring up when you're not conscious. <laughs> mm-hmm. So to Shai's point before, if there's a lesson that we learned, and I learned it pretty hard when he brought in his other primary partner, um, pretty quickly in terms of, you know, how I had expected new relationships to unfold, um, I experienced the full brunt force of all of my shadows, all of my, um, all of my traumas, all the stories, all the narratives, all the societal programming. It, it's, um, it really threatened to take me down. But our love still endured. We made so many mistakes. We peed on our legs a lot. We still do. We pee on each other all the time, not in a sexual capacity. <laughs> do you think um, that um, that most people who, you know, stick with it are kind of like um, personal growth junkies? <laughs> well, I have a theory about that. So I, funny is I actually lead with two very core needs, which are safety, emotional safety and certainty, and growth. So, like, the polar opposites of the need spectrum. Right. Mm-hmm. For me, this absolutely pro- pro- propelled my personal growth. Um, sometimes I wonder if I have, like, if Polly is, like, my kink. And <laughs> oh, right. My addiction. <laughs> um, but, yes, if, if anyone has any anxiety, any jealousy, 
any programming and they try poly, it's a good idea to be a personal growth Chucky. <laughs> it will yeah. it will also serve the process. Did you just admit that your that your kink is emotional pain? You get turned on by emotional pain? Uh it's the kink is the uh, <laughs> it's two sided. <laughs> well, it's like that book existential kink where you you know, whatever yeah. your shadow is, you turn that into your kink. Well, that's sort of really very much been the process. Um and it's been a balancing act of figuring out, you know, the the amount of resources and time and attention that it's taken to heal, like once we learned about how trauma was factoring in and we learned about our boundaries of dynamics and power dynamics and we've done an amazing amount of work together but you definitely have to want to have a the rushed we like uh what do they call it the express train to <laughs> to self-improvement to be the best mm-hmm. version of yourself yeah it won't let you it doesn't let you get lazy if this doesn't mm-hmm. go naturally right and i think you know also people that are into spiritual growth because it's like why choose to stay stuck in old patterns and not mm-hmm. be free right so if exactly. this is going to bring it up faster and really root out those core wounds then bring it on you know <laughs> yeah it, what i'll add is um, for me, what I've realized in the last several years is I care less about my sexual freedom. I care much more about my inner freedom. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to and trying to do. Inner freedom, freedom from the shackles of my own patterns and shadows and traumas and, and programs yeah. that create blocks. Before you said freedom also to express was another. Oh, freedom of expression. Yeah, but I'll, that's a big one too. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That I like the way you put that. Yeah, say that again. Is it how you originally said it? You, um, you care more about your inner freedom I care less than about, more about my inner freedom from programs, traumas, blockages, shadows, uh, thing, and anything that creates a blockage to love. Uh huh. I love it. That's great. Well, thank mm-hmm. you both for telling me your journey. I related to you, Leah, about how like is it Leah or Leah? Leah. Leah, okay, um, about, like, knowing that I was non-monogamous, but that I was also jealous. So, like, how do you, <laughs> that's, how, that's how I became a coach, is because I had to figure it out if I was going to do this, you know? So I threw myself into all the learning, and I see that's what you guys have done, too. So congratulations, and um, really amazing progress. Um, and so I, you promised us that you were going to give us the five... Um, biggest pitfalls of open relationship. So before you start going down your list, um, like what's the meta here? Like why do you think that there's so much struggle for so many people in in doing open relationships? Well, I I think that um, the the struggle from from a 10,000-foot view is so many just don't know what they don't know. You're just not going to know the things that, that just from reading the books, so, you know, the books are great, uh, but, but it's, it's experiential. Mm-hmm. And there are certain aspects um, that you kind of should know that haven't come around until Jessica Fern's book. I know I'm 
naming that book often, but like <laughs> uh, polysecure is a game changer and people need to understand attachment theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think by a lot of polyamorous people now are just completely geeking out on attachment theory. It's become like right. a, a movement. Yeah. So I think that as, as I explain these pitfalls, I can also continue some of the backstory because, because when, and if I can be a little bit vulnerable, when Leah and I first got together, we were almost alone for six months. And then Chrissy came in. And when Chrissy came in, I was just Mr. Polly. So Chrissy became my second girlfriend within a week. And I went fast and was not aware of Leah's attachment style, of her abandonment trauma, and just proceeded assuming that all Leah needed to do was understand it intellectually. And once Mm -hmm. she did, she would go through a, quote, monogamy detox and everything would be fine and she'd she'd find someone too and we'd all be happy to live happily ever after. (laughs) But she got it in her her mind, uh, intellectually, her nervous system was not going along for the ride. That reptile brain is a motherfucker because you can't talk to it directly. You can't reason Mm -hmm. with it. It's just trauma is stored there, right? So... Mm -hmm. She's been on a journey of, of trying to heal that, and it's not easy. And I've been on a journey of slowing the F down and putting speed limits and seatbelts on our open relationship instead of just the way I was with, with when, when we met Chrissy, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's been our journey is, is, um, uh, it, it's, it, it's coming closer to each other by Leah doing the work and by, by me slowing down. Mm-hmm. And what, something I want to add to that, sometimes I think there's a perception that the only reason that people get jealous in polyamory is because of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's a lot to that. And definitely I consider the societal programming of monogamy as the only acceptable way for love. I consider that a collective trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It certainly has made, it's the reason why polyamory is generally hard for people because they're, they're unwinding that. But one thing that we discovered in Jessica's book that was fascinating was that sometimes it's not a source, of tra- from, source from trauma. What I experienced in part was probably part that, but I also experienced something called attachment primal panic where mm-hmm. you can be a totally secure person in a relationship but if your relationship needs are getting met by someone at a certain frequency, in a certain way, consistency, and then that suddenly changes where for us, I suddenly went from living with him full time to seeing him four, three, sometimes two days, two nights a week. It was a very abrupt shift. So this can, a lot. I see this all the time in our coaching work where people get so excited because now they're free and the horses are busting out of the stable and we can do whatever we want. Now, now they know they can do this, but they don't understand that they don't know how to ride the horses. They don't know how to saddle up. They don't know how to ease into things because just because something sounds great on paper, it's very, very different in practice. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it was trauma. Maybe a lot of the stories I was creating but 
the at the bottom line is that when people can move very quickly like that and dramatically change their lives, it can just create create an attachment injury, a disruption of how their needs are getting met. So this is why talking, communication, moving slow, asking what are we each available for to others? Are we going to communicate that to them? You know, getting in front of this stuff, this is what we found is the key to adapting to this. Yes. And I just want to add to that, Leah, a very insightful um, rant that you just gave, is that um, (laughs) going slow pays off. You know, I've been, during the pandemic, I've been involved with a couple and um, she wasn't really feeling it fully. And so I went at her pace, you know, even though I wanted to dive in and, you know, get freaky with the man, (laughs) I also love her and I want her to be happy. So I was really patient and made sure that she felt included and loved and that her trauma was addressed. And, and having done that, having gotten really, really slow, it's paid off because now there's like this incredibly deep love and trust in our triad. Are you, are you connected to her as well? Oh yeah. Well, I'm not like we're sensual. We're not full on lovers, but the three of us are sensual together a lot. And that I think helps her feel really safe when we're together as we're, we're together more often than I'm alone with him. So that helps. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, that's not what I would have ideally chosen in the beginning, but, um, that that has paid off and I've learned to really love that type of intimacy as well. And so we created a win-win that way. It's, it's very similar to what Leah and Christy and I had somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. before and sometimes we were sensual, but I think that without that, we would have imploded probably because yeah. Leah ended up having such a deep sisterhood with Christy. Um, and I, and if I had gone slower, it might've also turned out like the way you're, you're talking about like, we spent, I spent more time alone with Christy and 10% of the time, the three of us together. Yeah. So we were, we were equal and it was, it was a big change coming from monogamy going into that. I mean, there are some people that benefit from shock therapy. I think that's what that's called. Um, <laughs> and from there, but there are many, 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 many others whose nervous systems are not they need, they need, ready to sustain that change. They need it. It's mm-hmm. like brain surgery and and heart surgery yep. and like nervous system surgery. And you don't want to bring a sledgehammer. You need a scalpel and yeah. you need arthroscopic surgery. It has to be very. And eight years of med school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think people yeah. need to know that if that they can get what they want if they just take it at the right pace instead of being like too eager to have it now. Like if you can go at the right pace, you will ultimately get what you want and a whole lot more than you never thought you could have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Well, let's go into your pitfalls. Now you hinted at the first one being um, the elephant in the room. (laughs) It's actually the third one, but it should be the first one. Um, Okay. I'll try to go with the list because it's the only way I'm going to remember it. I've kind of, okay. (laughs) But, um, yeah, um, I think that the first pitfall is that people really struggle by lacking community, friends, family who understand them. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us are lucky to be in poly community, uh, communities. Most of us are not. Um, and when we go to get support from family and friends, they're like, why are you doing this? Go back mm-hmm. to being monogamous. It's not mm-hmm. for you. It's not for you. Um, so what we try to do is solve for that. We've got, and 
8,400 member community on Facebook called Leveled Up Love. And in that community, it's really blossomed. You've been around the community for a little while, and you Mm -hmm. can see how amazingly um, conscious and kind the community is. Because from the beginning, we wanted to make it the kind of community that was the antithesis of other communities. Like we went to other poly communities and felt that there was a mixed bag where some people are super kind, but then there's some people who are just like, honestly, just downright mean. And when yeah. people are still polyamory and they're just like, me and my wife are looking for a girlfriend. I mean, they get their ass chewed out. Sorry. Right. Sorry. If it's, it's, I don't know if it's okay to curse a little bit. Um, so, we wanted to create a community, so we made it our ethos in, in Leveled Up Love to make sure that people know that you can disagree without being disagreeable, without being mean, without taking personal pot shots at people. And we've removed over 100 people from the group because that is such an important piece to the community. We want it to be mm-hmm. full of love. And, mm-hmm. if, and if we give people a warning and they're just in, insistent on being aggressive for whatever mm-hmm. reason, even if it's political correctness, like, no, we're not. We're, this is this is first. Treat right. people with kindness, and then let's talk about how we should be talking to each other. But don't be attacking people. So, community and a kind community at that I think is really um, important, and that's how that's how we solve for that with our community. Um, right. And also with our workshops, right? We have like social evenings. We have workshops where people gather and. You know, they watch, they, they, they share the knowledge with the educators and the facilitators. So that's really cool. Uh, and then and we the have a lot of Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say that in the last couple of years, we've had to pretty much just settle for virtual community, but now it looks like you're starting to have some live events too. Yeah, yeah. And I want to talk to you about joining Relate Fest in September in Miami. Our last one had 90 people. Mm-hmm. We made it an event that is for everyone, anyone that geeks out on relationships and is endlessly curious about how they work. And what was nice is that we brought monogamous and polyamorous people together. And the, the truth is, is like 90% of the content was for everyone. And it was really cool to see everybody being kind and understanding and curious and learning from each other. So, um, and then we're creating like a more high-end event called the Open Love Experience, and that's going to be interesting because it's going to be a more like luxurious beachfront kind of uh, mansion type situation. So we'll see how that plays out. It will be our first one for that. Um, but yeah, Relay Fest happened in March and it's going to happen again in September. Great. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So building community is very important. We have to also be able to touch people and see people in real life. And then the second uh, pitfall that we found in our community and our experience also is getting the right education. You know, that there's a lot of education out there on polyamory and it's good education. However, when you think about attachment theory and how it's not really been taught in polyamory um, and how critical of a piece of, of, of like how critical that knowledge is, it, it was a game changer for me. I changed how I practice polyamory in such a significant way, uh, and I want everybody to know about it. So education on attachment theory, uh, nervous system regulation, um, uh, emotional attunement, um, all these things, right? 
they're so important. So our workshops are filled with those types of um, uh, education. So right, and obviously communication because that's the most important thing yeah. in any relationship, right? Like healthy communication, yeah. responsible communication. Exactly. Yeah. When I when I say emotional attunement in my mind, that is the communication piece for sure. And one of the things we love teaching is, is our own blueprint called Spark, where we teach people how to, like, we have a blueprint that works for us. Even today, we had a conflict, and it just keeps working, right? We're able to, we're like, oh, my God, we got to call our coach. We got to call somebody to help us. We're in trouble. And then we're like, we end up using our own blueprint, and we get <laughs> out, of the, out of the foxhole. Um, That's awesome. Is, that, is Spark an acronym for something? Yes, yeah, SPARK stands for uh, setting the stage. Uh, that's the S. P is for probing. A is for acknowledging. R is for reframing. And C is for collaboration. And inside of SPARK, it's another acronym called OMEN, O-M-E-N, which stands for observations, meanings, emotions, and needs. And we're able to kind of cross those two acronyms and have a blueprint that people follow um, that is rooted in N- NVC, nonviolent communication, Imago principles, even a little Dale Carnegie sprinkled in there. And it's just something that's been really interestingly homegrown for the last six years uh, through practice, through, like we joked about peeing on each other's legs. Many, many, many <laughs> practice rounds. You're welcome. Yes. So, <laughs> so know, knowing how well it worked, kind of funny. Today I, I ran into um, Danielle, um, my co-parent, and um, – she was saying how our 18-year-old and 13-year-old are suddenly getting along. It's like magic. Either, either they hit a certain age or whatever, but now they're like going to the mall together and like they've been cats and dogs for years. About a month ago or maybe two months ago, I sat them down and I had this idea. I was like, maybe I should move them through the blueprint. Mm. So I had a session for my son for my daughter to hold space for him. And then two weeks later, we did the opposite. He held space for her. And during those sessions, they just followed my instructions. And by coincidence, they've been getting along. So <laughs> I'd like wow. to take credit. Nobody's giving me credit for it. So we'll <laughs> Well, we'll give you credit right now. Yay, Sean. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, well, before before you continue, um, it's uh, time for me to just remind the people or, or let the people know who just joined us late that you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. And this is your host, Sumati Sparks the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Leah and Shai, the founders of the Secure Poly Collective. And if you have any questions for them, you're welcome to call in. The number is 657-383-1132. And you'll be put on hold and we'll answer your call at the right time. So don't worry about interrupting us. Um, Again, that number is 657-383-1132. Okay, so you were saying something, Shai? Yeah, so the, the third pitfall is is um, the elephant in the room that we talked about. It's right there in the middle. It's it's trauma healing, getting folks on the journey, at least started on uh, acknowledging that we all have trauma, whether it's big T, little T, tiny T, we all have trauma, abandonment, rejection, abuse, whatever, different, different levels of uh, or types of trauma. So if we don't address them, sort them out, find, not just address them, but like 
find modalities that work for us, whether it's plant medicine, BDSM and kink for healing. I was surprised to learn that many people are healing trauma through BDSM. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, somatic experiencing, Tantra. There's just so many different modalities that I never knew of. And and on our journey, we started finding these different um, modalities so now we have workshops that are included in our in our whole Sixer Poly Collective that really focus on that as well, right? So it's not just conscious communication, but it's also the trauma healing. The the the, the pitfall is the pitfall is not addressing your trauma in polyamorous relationships and essentially ignoring them and just you know moving forward. So yeah, that's that, that's. I like I like how you said that you know we all have different degrees of trauma because some people just kind of naming it and learning like you know EFT you know tapping or something like that can help but other people have you know really really deep trauma and might need some additional assistance like um, you know a trauma informed therapist or EMDR or something from a therapist like that so it's good to notice that some of us have more minor but we all have it but it's just a matter of degree right. It's a matter of degree, and ultimately there has to be a balance to strike with how much effort and resources and time and money are you willing to devote to healing your trauma to make this mm-hmm. lifestyle work. Like you're constantly checking in on the skills balancing between how you're resourced and what you're getting out of it, right? So that trauma healing also, you know, I think a lot of times, I'll coach people and they're like, well, I totally healed this trauma, but I believe that every single trigger that a person has in general, with a few exceptions of like extreme violence and and abuse, every trigger, like these hair trigger, passive aggressive, snappy responses, they're all based in some trauma somewhere. And you know you're healing when you're just becoming more and more an observation of Mm -hmm. those responses. But you might be, I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's a lot to unwind. And I want to encourage listeners to think that once you're on that path, it's not so much a destination where you wake up one day and you're like, bing, I'm healed. (laughs) It's a very nonlinear, messy, rewarding, challenging process that it's almost like, committing to a relationship but the relationship you're committing to is again your inner freedom which we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. beautiful well put thank you Mm -hmm. okay i'm ready for number four if you are shy (laughs) all right thanks for keeping us on track um (laughs) one uh additional pitfall is saying, okay, we're polyamorous now, and we go out in the dating world, and we're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I am going to get to keep my wife or my partner or my husband. I get to be, quote, single again. Be five boyfriends. Right. And <laughs> it's just not the same. When you set up a dating profile, if that's your, your cup of tea, um, you find that people are like in, in, in normal dating sites where, you know, a lot of the action is on Tinder, Bumble, whatever, you put up polyamory and, like, it's crickets. Like, if you mm-hmm. put that in your profile, or just like, I don't want to date somebody that has someone. I'm looking for the one. I don't want to be a secondary or whatever. So it's not easy. 
explaining to people that you're polyamorous. It limits the pool of people that you can connect with. And to that end, uh, again, all these pitfalls we try to solve for. So we have our preferred dating site that we recommend for polyamorous people. We have um, our socials, our online socials, and our live events to try to bring together like-minded people because to this day we haven't yet even found a perfect polyamory dating site. Um, they're just, uh, they're all flawed. They're, they don't have enough people in them or they are more, no offense to swingers, but more about swinging and casual sex, most of them. So one day, one day, that's my dream is to have a, a pure polyamory dating site um, that is uh, a little bit more aligned with what our community is after. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the pitfalls. And then the last um, before one. You, before you go on to the, the next one, um, <laughs> I just want sure, to, um, yeah, I just want to let people know that, yeah, I too tried a lot of um, being on dating apps a lot when the pandemic started. And it was, I, I, I definitely put a lot more time into it than most people would because I was like, I'm going to figure this out so I can help my clients, you know? So even, you know, Disaster after disaster, I just kept going after it, and it was so hard. And so I, I realized that, you know, what's easier is to go where polyamorous people congregate. Hello, <laughs> go to places uh-huh. where the majority of the people are going to be polyamorous. And so I created a list, and your events are on my list, and I've, I'm updating it every quarter, so I'll put your new ones on there too. Uh, but I wanted to direct people to that list. It's sumatisparks.com, which is my website forward slash where to meet, where to meet, sumatisparks.com forward slash where to meet. And you'll see a list of places where polyamorous people congregate that are not dating apps. So there you go. (laughs) Amazing. That's such a good point. Lee and I were just talking today about how some of our most more meaningful relationships came from a Tantra festival, two Tantra festivals and um, all kinds of events. I've met amazing partners. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a really good point. Um, and, and there are some dating sites that have helped us. There's OkCupid, who's very friendly to non-monogamous people. There's mm-hmm. Field, that is more on the swing side, but still has a lot of people who are polyamorous as well. Um, there's Meet Mindful for more conscious people. That's where I met Leah. That one's a little bit more difficult because you still have to, like, you know, initiate and get rejected when you tell them you're poly, but they're a mm-hmm. little bit more like, you know, yogi and spiritual and therefore more open-minded. So it's not like, okay. like dating on match.com. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Can you spell uh, field for people that haven't heard of that before? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Good point. It's, it's spelled differently. It's S E E L D. And um, yeah, we even have our own little special chat room inside of there for leveled up love members. So, if anybody cool. ends up joining our, our uh, VIP program, we, we share that special secret room with you. Great. Um, so are you ready for number five? I am. So we found that another pitfall is, is like that polyamorous partners, primary partners specifically, um, but even solo polyamorous, find that they lose depth of connection. You know, love is, is uh, some say limitless, right? We can love, 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 but time is not infinite. It's, it's finite. And if you think that you can 
spread your disposable time, and I say disposable time like beyond your work time, your personal hobbies, and your parenting time if you're a parent, the little bit of time that's left, and you're going to try to split that two ways, three ways, four ways, seven ways, it's hard to build consistency. It's hard to build depth of connection. There's something about consistency that helps you feel safe and go deeper and open up. So Mm -hmm. that being said, a couple of solutions. One is for Leah and I, at least, for us, not for everyone, we try and have decided to start loving the world together as often as possible. Luckily, one of us is bisexual, and that helps. Um, the, but the other piece is if we're going to have less time, make it high quality. And what Leah and I have learned from Tantra is how to make it high quality, it's how to slow down um, in, in, in three very important areas. And this is why we have these incredible Tantra pra- practitioners and facilitators coming in doing live demonstrations and, um, and helping us really have deep, rich, slow, uh, meaningful connections that don't feel like, you know, fast food sex, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, the slowing down with how we connect, number one. And number two, slowing down when there are ruptures because in our love style, there are going to be ruptures. We accept that as, 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 as part of what we do. Um, we try to have as many days without incident as we can, but you'll have incident like any relationship, but maybe a little bit more. And if you can slow down using the essence of Tantra of slowing down and communicate consciously, that's another piece. And then the third piece is slowing down when there's new relationships. New relationship energy can be very volatile and knowing how to slow down, having self-control, again, the essence of Tantra is slowing down. So slow down in all these three areas. And, um, that was number five. Yeah, I found that, um, I, you know, I'm on a lot of these Facebook groups, and um, it's often women that will say, my partner came out as polyamorous, and a month later moved his girlfriend in with us. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, honey. You don't have to allow that. Just because you're polyamorous doesn't mean that you can't control yourself. If he can't control himself, and he, you know, he says, I'm polyamorous, so therefore I have to go sleep with five people tomorrow. That's sex addiction. That's not polyamory. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is such an interesting area. I'm so glad this came up because I've been really pondering about how many narratives there are in poly, just like there are in monogamy. And what's great about poly is you can learn to unpack and dismantle a lot of those mononormative patterns. But that doesn't mean that poly doesn't, isn't rife with its own patterns. There's something called the pendulum swing, where when one form of extremism swings the other way in another extreme way, because there's no, like, sauce in the middle. And one thing I've noticed is that sometimes when people are getting started with this, they're all about abundance. Oh, I want the abundance of love. I have an abundance of love. I want abundance. And they'll, like, butt up against another couple's rules or agreements and they feel limited by those agreements and I don't want to I don't want to go slow I want it now love should flow and what I find interesting about that is I see it implode so often that it often precludes 
the future possibilities of things working well. So just like what you described so much, you paced yourself and you probably found an abundance in what you saw that was available to you at that time and the future possibilities of what could become mm-hmm. available. And when we, when we think of poly, it seems so much about abundance, yet what I see, I think, is a scarcity mindset. People are mm-hmm. afraid to lose. The, have massive FOMO, like if I don't have it now, I'm going to lose it forever. And what I encourage folks to do is ask, what is the abundance that you can put, that is available to you right now and can focus on and work towards ultimately what everyone can be comfortable with? Mm-hmm. So I love how you that. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you said that. I was just talking to a client today about the issue of scarcity and how we think we have to grab the first person that comes along because who else is going to want me? I'm married. <laughs> people mm, don't realize right. that there's lots of other people that are married out there that also want additional partners. So there's right. no need to settle for the first person that will have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so true. And, Leah, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, as you have, you know, looked, I'm assuming that you've sought out other partners. Have you found a pattern of men being intimidated by you because you're an educator and because you're, you know, you and your partner are educators. Have you found it a little harder to find somebody that doesn't feel intimidated by that? That is a really interesting question. I can't say that I've encountered anyone talking about intimidating. I actually had a guy reach out to me on OkCupid today who follows me on Instagram and found my material interesting and was like, hey, would you like to hang? By coincidence? <laughs> no, no, he already knew me oh, cool. uh, on OK. This actually happens pretty often. It's, we're, oh, really? we're, we're a big deal, babe. We're a big deal. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't see an intimidation there because, you know, one thing Shy and I like to say, and this is really kind of true on a daily basis is that we're not preaching from some ivory tower where we don't feel jealous. That's what, that doesn't belong here. And it's always great all the time. Like we're really preaching from the foxhole and we definitely haven't everything out, but we have learned so much and we have the propensity to share it with this deep, deep compassion and that is what I didn't really find in the poly world when I came in and, you know, jealousy was, would trigger lynch mobs in discussion groups and all the books were really re- made for secure people by secure people. Uh, so I didn't even know where I belonged there. And Level of Love's purpose is to really give a home to all feelings, all scarcities, all tender parts of us that are still messy and working themselves out, and we, we do it together as a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how we, we, um, we're both able to represent both sides. Yeah. Leah's able to... And in both ways. And in both ways, right? Like when, I, when we work with couples, actually, um, it's really incredible how I can really relate sometimes to the guy. Sometimes it's the woman, but a lot of times it's the guy who's just like, you know, like Leah said earlier, like the horses are rearing and jumping out of the barn and now they're free and they can't wait. 
And I'm like, I get that. I've been there. I wanted to, like, make love to the world when I was free. And um, I get you. Like, I get how you also meet someone and you don't want to be in that whole couple's privilege and you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings and now you've got two partners and you don't want to make your primary partner not feel significant, but you don't want to be uh, pulling couple's privilege on this new person either and, ha- and you feel like so stuck. You feel stuck mm-hmm. between a rock and a place because now you've fallen for somebody new and you still love your primary partner and oh, it can be so almost debilitating and, and traumatic to be caught between two lovers and trying to get everybody's needs met. Um, and on the other side, Leah is able to really empathize with an anxious attached partner who's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want to support your freedom, but you're going too goddamn fast for me. Like my nervous system is not keeping my up reality is with your pace. Integrating. Like I want to support you, but can we do it slower? Now some mm-hmm. of them go so slow that it's, Mm-hmm. Right, so it's like, how do we come up with strategies to, to to meet in the middle? What are some of the emotional attunement and conscious communication tools? A slightly uncomfortable, yes, slightly or very uncomfortable, uncomfortable yes, but right. still, yes. Without like an amygdala shutdown, yeah, uh, you know, because you don't want to have those types of re-traumatizing experiences, because then you create more trauma that you have to heal from. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is important because. When we talk about consent, that Polly is a very consent-based um, lifestyle, what I see is a ton of not consensual decisions being made to existing relationships that have a lot riding on them. And partners are not consenting in certain ways like sharing of information and details. Do they want to know? If they don't, that's not consent. Um, taking away family night from the kids, like, that's not consent. Like, this requires, this is a collaboration. So Mm -hmm. consenting to poly is not consenting to every possible thing that can happen in poly. Mm -hmm. You know, that's being single and dating. What what we found is, like, carrying that freedom flag can be dangerous, right? Carrying that freedom flag can be like, now I'm free, and you will, in, in your mind, you'll say, and, and no one will control me. I am now polyamorous, and I don't want, and this means that I'm now free to love freely and do whatever I want. You know, what about the family? What about sexual safety? What about abandonment trauma? Like, you. What about a, attachment needs? <laughs> yeah, and basic needs to feel safe and seen and loved and have quality time, speak your love languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, what I discovered that I was that guy. I was a polyvangelist. I was like freedom first. If it doesn't work for you, then we're not a match. And now I've taken on a whole new tune, right? I've evolved into how do we strike the balance between your nervous system and my freedom? Let's talk. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think a really important thing to understand as well is a big turning point for us came when Shai experienced polyanxiety and jealousy in a way that I don't think either of us expected since he was much more practiced at it than I was. But he had a few moments. I wasn't practiced at that, that side of the coin. That, right, right. Your partners hadn't been very active. I was fine being shared. Right, right, right. right. We all are. Sharing was, was a wake-up call. <laughs> right. and Even a small blurb of it. And something that that's why both of us can relate to both sides. I've known what it felt to feel the constriction and the confinement of feeling somewhat like I'm being controlled or I can't be free. 
So I think we have a unique insight really into both sides of the coin, but how experiencing both of those sides allows us each to tap into what each of them are feeling. And sometimes it takes that experience, the direct experience of going, holy shit, what is the feeling? Oh, I'm jealous. Now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, meeting in the middle, um, because, one person might want you to go slower, but you don't want to go too slow. Um, one of the strategies that I've found or one of the tools um, from Susan Campbell's book about triggers is reassurance. And mm-hmm. I've always judged myself for needing reassurance. And yeah. that book gave me permission to not only ask for reassurance, but to be very clear and specific about the kind of reassurance I need. Cause she laid it all out in her book about all the different kinds of reassurances people want. So now it feels really vulnerable still to ask for it, but I've developed the courage to ask specifically for the kind of reassurance I want. And as I practice that, I realize that if you can get good at giving your partner the kind of reassurance they ask for, you can really be good at polyamory. You You can really have the freedom you're desiring. It doesn't take that much just to learn how they want to be reassured, give it to them, and then that allows them to set you more free. Does that make sense? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. When I read this book, Attached, by Amir Levine, which kind of popped my attachment cherry, um, (laughs) (laughs) similarly, he gave permission to express needs as one of the core reasons why people on the anxious scale can suffer in relationships because they feel that if I express what I really need, if I need to hear that I'm beautiful and they love me and I'm special more than once a day for the rest of my life, I know they're going to leave because I'm too much. That's just Mm -hmm. such a common. Unfortunately, I do see a lot of pairings in poly where a partner will say, I've told you a thousand times, you should know this. You you need to fill your own needs, and that's a whole other narrative I'd love to mm-hmm. uh, bomb, bomb at a later time. But everything changed for us when I read that book and I said to him, like, I'm afraid to tell you that I may need to hear these things for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's the concept. Mm-hmm. Right, I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. I, I It was so scary to ask for what I wanted, yeah. Got it. <laughs> well, we are out of time. It's been such a lively conversation. The time just flew. So thank you so much for taking us through the five pitfalls of open relationships so we can all know what we need to learn to do it right. And I know you have lots of resources for people to continue to learn. So um, please share with us um, what you have for our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for letting us share. Thank you to your listeners for taking time. Um, to listen, we a lot, a lot of what we have can be found at leveluplove.com, uh, but we have like shortcuts to everything. Leveluplove.com/quiz allows them to take um, our "How ready are you for an open relationship?" quiz, um, and then we have our uh, trial, our 14-day free trial of, of our workshops, these online workshops that are just so transformative at leveluplove.com slash VIP. And uh, our live events are worth mentioning again. The Open Love Experience is at 
openloveexperience.com. And RelateFest is at RelateFest.com, just like it, it sounds. Um, and other than that, our community on, on Facebook, Leveled Up Love, uh, is a free community, lots of good engagement as well. So we try to have something for, for everyone, some free content, you know, content that's affordable uh, online, and then our live events, of course, are a little bit more expensive, traveling and everything, but we want something for everyone so everyone can have some resources to, to thrive in more uh, conscious and sustainable open relationships. Mm-hmm. And you really have created, a, a, like you've brought the whole community together into one place so people can really find all the different coaches, all the different teachers in your platform. So it's, it's been a real gift to the community. Yeah, and we love having you teach. I hope, hopefully we can have you back again to teach. Um, we have, wow, it might be over 40 educators now, including Jessica Fern, Kamala Devi McClure, you, um, who else? We had Elizabeth Sheff on. We had um, Dr. Jolie Hamilton is coming up. LaVita Loca, like, oh, such amazing variety of educators on polyamory, but also a lot of educators on just relating and healing trauma. Um, so really a, ni- a nice group of people, uh, of educators, that is a, a very uh, well-rounded, holistic approach to um, just thriving in any relationship. It's funny, we have some monogamous people in our VIP program just because mm-hmm. they, they get to learn so much. Well, yeah, the tools that we have to practice to do it right would also superpower any monogamous relationship. <laughs> oh, 100%. I'm stealing that line. <laughs> that's a, that's a for the TED Talk I'm trying to write for next year, <laughs> literally. There you go. Great, great, great. Awesome. Superpower. Well, thanks again, you guys. Yeah, superpower with the non-monogamy tools, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, you guys. So glad to have you back on the show. And I wish you the best of luck with all of your upcoming events and hope to see you at one soon. Yay. Thank, thank you. Thank you again for having us back. Okay. Good night. Good night.